sometimes, uh, you know, we can get real excited about uh, Easter, and then life goes on. We can get real excited about uh, that time at camp when we had that mountaintop experience, and then we, we come back home. Or uh, we get real excited about that moment that we first trusted Christ as our Savior. Um, our, our eyes were opened. Uh, he transformed our hearts, and then life still goes on. And what do we do with that? And I think our, our central truth that we're looking at today is, oh, I'm going too far. No, that's not too far. Jesus wants this ongoing relationship with you and with me. And I think Luke, at the end of uh, the Gospel of Luke, he helps us transition from one to the other. He helps us transition from Christ rose from the dead, you know, past tense, to he is alive right now. He's alive and well. And what does that mean for, for you and for me and how we, we live? Here, here's the setting uh, in the, the last chapter of Luke. The women went to the tomb, and they found the stone rolled away, and the tomb was empty. We, we talked about that last week from, uh, from Mark's account. The angel told them that Jesus is alive. You know, that's why he's, he's not there. After the initial shock, they, they did go tell the other disciples, and uh, the disciples were largely in, in disbelief. Like, I, I don't understand what to do with this. Um, then Luke tells about two disciples in particular as they walked the road uh, toward Emmaus. They were sad, distraught, because um, their, their master, their leader, was, was just killed. They saw it happen. And Jesus himself comes and joins the conversation and walks along with them and talks to them about Scripture, and they're still not quite getting it. And then finally, um, when, they, when they pause at where they're going, he breaks bread, and their eyes are open, and, and they realize, this is Jesus. We, we just were with Jesus. So they run. And they tell the rest of the disciples who are gathered together, and, uh, and they're talking about that in the room together. These two disciples are telling the others, and that's where our story picks up today. And we'll be in Luke uh, chapter 24, verse 36. And if you uh, don't have a Bible, there's one right in front of you that you could use, and that's on page 885 if you're following along in the Pew Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at all, even at home, we'd be so happy to give you one. There's one um, there's some at the table straight in the back. As you go out uh, today, you are welcome to take one of those with you. So Luke 24, 36, uh, to the end of the chapter. And here, here's what we're going to look at this morning. We're to see how Jesus is alive and he's Lord and he wants an ongoing relationship with you. And we're going to answer this question, how do I respond to Jesus' invitation to relationship? We're going to see six things Jesus does to initiate and six things we do to respond to that. And uh, so let's jump right in. Verse 36 says this. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be to you. The very first thing Jesus does is he just shows up. <laughs> He showed up right in, the, right in their midst. He was right with them. It, 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 the language here is very emphatic. It's Jesus himself. The very same Jesus they followed around for a few years, the very same Jesus that had died and rose from the dead, that is the very same Jesus that showed up in their midst. And this is the very same thing that's true of us. It's not just this past event, and now we follow this, this memory of Jesus or this concept of Jesus. We follow Jesus. 
who is alive and who's well. The beginning of Matthew's gospel says uh, of the coming Savior, they shall call his name Emmanuel, with us is God, God is with us. His very name will mean that God came to be with man. At the end of his gospel, he says in his his, uh, parting words, so to speak, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This this brackets Matthew's account of Jesus. The whole thing is that God is with you and with me. If you have trusted Christ as your Savior, then the living Savior dwells with you. Uh, In Hebrews 13.5, again, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We can count on that. Well, Jesus shows up in special ways all the time, and what we need to do is just acknowledge that and respond to that. We, we engage him. We, we are aware in our minds like, oh, Jesus is in our, our midst. He's, he's here with us. Sometimes we go through life as if uh, he's not there, even though he most certainly is. Uh, in high school, I had a friend and I went over to her house, and we walked in and saw her mom. And her mom starts uh, addressing this friend of mine and talking to her and going on. And eventually, after a really long, awkward time, she looked up and saw that it was me standing literally two feet from this girl. And uh, apparently, she, mom thought I was uh, her other daughter. And they were having a spat, and so she was not acknowledging her existence. And so even though I was right in front of her, she was pretending I wasn't there until she realized it was me. And then she just said hi. Um, so these really uh, awkward things where we could be with Jesus, which he's always with us right now, but we can, we can pretend that he's not there. And how sad when we have a living uh, Lord and Savior who showed up right in our lives, jumped right into our world. He invites us into relationship and we pretend that he's not there. We need to give him credit for the answered prayers. It's not just a coincidence. We need to uh, talk to him throughout the day, uh, check in with him, be just mindful of his presence. Uh, earlier this week, we were at the beach talking with some friends, and uh, they were sharing the, the providence of, of God in their, their coming here. And all these things, you know, what a coincidence. And the comment was made, you know, this is something uh, we could tell our children, just of how God was at work in, in our lives. God is there. Jesus is among us. So the first thing, Jesus shows up, so I engage with him. I, I act like he's really there because he really is there. The second thing is Jesus reveals himself to us, so I respond by seeking to discover him. Uh, Verse 37 and 38 says, But they were startled, and they were frightened, and they thought that they saw a spirit or, or a ghost, you know, some kind of phantom. And he said to them, Why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See, the resurrection was predicted. They'd already heard multiple reports. You know, the women came and told them, and then these two disciples came and told them, and they're still, you know, what, what happened here? They're still struggling to understand. Jesus doesn't turn to them and say, morons, I told you I was coming back. He doesn't scold them. He doesn't say anything like that. But instead, he gently just reveals himself to them. He says, verse 39, uh, see my hands? See my feet? 
that it is I, myself, again, this emphatic language, this is the same Jesus you were with all this time. This is me. And he says, touch me and see me. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands, he showed them his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy, now they're just so excited, it's hard to believe. They were marveling. And he said to them, um, I just love how it turns to this. He says, do you have anything to eat? <laughs> Is there anything edible here? And uh, they gave him a piece of, of cooked fish, and he took it and he ate it before them. Now, he, he could have been hungry, but uh, obviously it's also a display saying, see, I'm not uh, a phantom. I'm, I'm here right in front of you. Anyone who's watched um, the first uh, Pirates of the Caribbean knows that you know, ghosts can't eat. Um, and so he, he shows himself. He just gently reveals himself uh, to his disciples. It, it's me. Here I am. Ex- explore me. I'm here. We could take our doubts to Jesus, and he reveals himself to us. He's not afraid of our questions. He doesn't shy away from them. He doesn't scold us for asking, but he invites us to explore him. If you have intellectual um, doubts about Christianity, go, go search it out. Look, look for answers. Um, we talked last week about some went on that pursuit with the, the whole intent is to disprove Christianity, and as they explored intellectually, they discovered um, this is legitimate, and they became followers of Christ. Search it out. Maybe it's experiential doubts, like, well, I believe this in my head, but just in daily life, I just don't believe it works. <laughs> you know, it pans out. Well, put it to the test. Jesus says some outrageous things like, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But all the ads say it's better to receive than to give. And Jesus says, no, it's better, more blessed. It's more happy. It's more joyful to give than receive. And we do that. We try it. We test it. And we say, does this really work in real life? It does. We give and we're blessed and we experience it. I notice um, a distinct correlation in my own life when I am pursuing Jesus, spending time in his word, doing the things he's asked me to do, and that translates into um, spiritual fruit. I see him doing that in me, and it's not something that, that I do. And the corollary is true, too. I neglect the habits of the spiritual life, and uh, I see a lack of spiritual fruit. That is putting him to the test. I see it just playing out in my own life. Uh, Christianity works, so to speak. It's real. Explore it. It's real. So he reveals himself, and I seek to discover him. Okay, third, he gives us the precious gift of scriptures. And the reason he does that is so I would respond by just trying to get to know him. Uh, Just continuing on, verse 44 says, And he, Jesus, said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Well, he's not just singling out these, you know, these different little things. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms, that's you know, the whole Hebrew Bible. Uh, sometimes uh, the Jewish people call it the Tanakh. It's like a, an acronym for the Torah, the law, the Nevi'im, the prophets, and the Ketuvim, the writings, which the Psalms is part of that. So he's saying the whole Bible talks 
about me. I've given it to you so that you might know me. He says right in there, everything written about me. That's what God's word is for. It's so we might know Jesus better. It's not so we could win on the American Bible Challenge. It's not so we can impress people in a Bible study. It's not so we could, you know, stump somebody with our, with our uh, special knowledge of things, but it's so we could know uh, Jesus better. It's like a uh, personal letter uh, to us. Uh, most of you know our middle daughter is in England. That's a long ways away. And when we get letters, correspondence from her, you know, we, we kind of devour those. It's like, jump on that, grab it, read it. She just sent one this past week. And uh, it, the other side is a postcard. It has um, a uh, drawing by Tolkien of Hobbiton. So that's pretty special. But what's really special is, um, is just the comments from Phoebe. And we read it because we want to know what this... What does Phoebe love? What does Phoebe think about? You know, what does Phoebe want? These are the same questions we should come to Scripture with. You know, what, what does God love? What's his passions? What's he think about me? What's he think about the world? Um, how can I know him better? And to look at God's word through those lenses. Not as uh, I unfortunately got sidetracked and brought up in our Bible study this, this morning of of, wasn't the longest verse in the Bible in uh, Esther? And uh, these trivia things like, like this, I, I don't come to Phoebe's postcard and say, hmm, I wonder how many times she uses uh, the letter A. Or, you know, these trivia things. Instead, I come because I, I know and, and love Phoebe. That's why we come to God's word. Um, devotions, you know, being at church, Bible study, it's for the sake of knowing Jesus relationally, knowing him better. I need to move to the next slide because I see you straining to try to read that, and I don't want anyone to get hurt uh, doing that. So he gives us scriptures so we can get to know him better, and, and, but also he goes beyond that and gives us understanding. And I respond by just asking him for understanding because, honestly, sometimes the Bible is, is hard to understand, as the disciples uh, realized. Verse 45 says, uh, he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. God helps us understand the significance of what we're reading. And this is sometimes what theologians call illumination. It's that step in the the process of of God's mind to ours where he has to open the the blinders on our eyes so we can really understand uh, what we are looking at. Uh, Luke just described this happening with the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And uh, it says, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, again, this is the law and the prophets, the Bible, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He, uh, he translated or explained or made the sense of what was in the scriptures and how it really pointed uh, to Jesus. He's like, this whole big book here, this is so you can know me better. This is so we can just love each other better in an ongoing relationship because Jesus didn't just rise from the dead. He's still alive. (laughs) He's still alive and with us, and he gives us understanding. When we read the Bible um, outside of the context of a relationship with God, it's like reading somebody else's mail. You know, we're kind of coming in the middle of a conversation, and it doesn't really makes sense, or a one-sided phone call, you know, well, I can kind of piece it together, but I don't really get all the significance of it, but when we come to God's word, 
in the context of relationship, and we ask God himself to, to in, illuminate our minds so we can understand, then it brings Scripture to life. Then we can understand it. Scripture is not just fascinating literature or historically insightful, um, but largely confusing. <laughs> Instead, it's a living love letter. I have a bunch of tools that I use when I'm studying uh, Scripture. Um, whenever we pay my student loans, I'm reminded that I have a master's degree that I'm that, uh, in biblical studies. I have Bible software where I can look at all these different versions of the Bible. I have some language tools. I have a library of books. And all of this does me no real good unless I first come to God's Word and say, Lord, this is your book. Help me understand it. Lord, help me know what you want me to know from this. Help me just love and understand you better. If we don't start there, it's just an academic pursuit. Maybe an interesting one, but not a fruitful one. Jesus wants you to know him through his word, but not to know him just as buddies. The Lord has uh, commissioned us for an enormous task. And uh, so that's what we, we see next in this chapter. Jesus himself sends us with power. And we respond by just marching out, going forth in his power. Verses 46 to 48. And he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer, and on the third day he will rise from the dead. And that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are my witnesses of these things. That word proclaimed it's, uh, or preached is like a herald, uh, one who goes and announces good news, one who, who announces that the, the victory has been won. You, you roam through the streets and, and celebrate and say, let it be known that, that uh, Christ is risen from the dead. And we get excited about that. And Jesus says, go, proclaim about me. What, what to proclaim specifically? Proclaim that Christ rose from the dead. That's what it says here. Proclaim that there is forgiveness of sins. A, a world that's, that's really dying inside needs a living Savior that rose from the dead. A world that's um, just eaten up and torn down and, and drugged down by, by sins needs to know that there's forgiveness for sins. And so we can be, not just we can be, we must be heralds of that good news. Sometimes uh, that seems overwhelming and difficult. <laughs> and that's why uh, I love verse 49 that says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Now this promise from the Father and this power from on high is, is the Spirit of God in you. Uh, God himself comes and takes up residence and gives you strength and power to, to live and carry out uh, this task of being his, his herald, his, his messenger. And, and really, all that you need to know, all that you need to say is what, uh, what you've witnessed yourself. He says, verse 48, going back a verse, says, uh, you, 
are the witnesses of these things. You saw these things take place. Luke, this is the end of Luke. Luke also uh, wrote Acts, and the beginning of Acts says a very similar thing. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So all you need to say is what you've seen, and all you need to do is what you do in, in the power of the Holy Spirit that God has given you. You don't need all the answers. You don't need all the trivia. Uh, you just need to say, like, like the blind man that Jesus healed, uh, one thing I know, that though I was blind, now I see. This is just a great story in, in John 9. You know, Jesus healed a blind man. Um, the religious leaders are uptight about that because of how it happened, and they're questioning the blind man and have all these questions for him. He's like, I don't know. All I know is that I was blind, and now I see. You know, you go ask him, and uh, that's all we need to do. If God has, has set you free, he's uh, transformed your heart, he's uh, just whatever he's given you, you can, you can talk about that. You are a witness of that. Do it in his power. Uh, this morning, what, what fun to, uh, to see Penny and Caleb be baptized. That was really great. You know, they're you know, relatively young in the faith compared to some in this room. Uh, but they have all they need to tell. They have a story to tell. You have a story to tell. Jesus sends you out with his power, so we go. We go when he sends us. Okay, final thing. The sixth thing he does, this, uh, this kind of really struck me as I was studying this, the end of the passage, and that is he blesses us, so I worship him. And it's really quite spectacular. This is how the book ends, verses 50 and 51. It says, And he led them out as far as Bethany, or you know, toward Bethany, Mount of Olives. And lifting up his hands, uh, this is Jesus, he blessed them, and while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Um, this is where this took place, uh, the Mount of Olives, looking back down across the valley, and you can see the the dome of the rock there, the, the temple mount. Um, in the, it takes up most of the picture there. Uh, this is a real place. This really happened. This is where Jesus was looking out over these things, and he goes up uh, into heaven. And his last thing he did when he was here was bless his followers. He spoke words of goodness, of graciousness over his followers, and he's still speaking good things about you today. Here's a, a fun verse in 1 John. It says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. An advocate, somebody who comes alongside us. And sometimes this is used in, in kind of a legal defense terminology. Somebody who is um, kind of going to bat for you, speaking on your behalf. This is what Jesus is doing right now. Um, the devil accuses you. What he's doing right now is saying bad things about you. What Jesus is doing right now is saying good things about you. He's blessing you. He's speaking graciousness over your life. What kinds of things is he saying about you and about me? Here's a few of them. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, he's saying, 
uh, you are God's child. Even if nobody else will claim you, <laughs> like you are a child of God. You are Christ's friend. Uh, the uh, passages for this, John uh, 1.12, and then this John 15.15, 15, you are a friend of Jesus. Romans 5.1, you have been declared righteous. Whatever your track record is, whatever things are listed in your history, uh, Jesus is saying you are legally declared righteous. When God the Father looks at you, he's like, ah, all I see is righteousness because Jesus covered that. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, you are a saint. You're, you're a holy one. You're a holy one of God. Romans 8.17, you are royalty. You are a royal heir with Christ. This is a, these are things Jesus is talking about you. Uh, he's saying about you. Colossians 1.14, you are completely forgiven. Yes, even for that big thing way back then. Yes, even for that um, repeated thing that just keeps creeping up in your life. Yeah, you are forgiven. From the very beginning of the book, Genesis 127, you bear God's image. God looks at you, he's like, oh, you look kind of like me. <laughs> I see the resemblance. In some ways, you bear the mark of God on you. Romans 8, first couple of verses, you are free forever from God's condemnation. He's not hovering over there, over you to, to smack you. He's not uh, keeping this long list of things he has against you. There is no condemnation. And towards the end of that chapter in Romans 8, you're free from any charge against you. That chapter is just, go read Romans 8. It's just amazing. You know, you, you think somebody's against you. Well, the Holy Spirit's for you. God the Father's for you. Jesus is for you, saying great things about you. And uh, are not bringing any charge against you. Second Corinthians, you've been established. You've been uh, anointed, you know, chosen and blessed. You've been sealed, secure in Christ. Just a couple more. First Corinthians 3.16, you are God's sacred dwelling place. You are the temple. You are the place where God himself dwells. It's like, yeah, that's where, that's where I want to live. I want to live in your life, in your heart. Ephesians 2.10, you are God's craftsmanship jesus is saying yeah i i made that and that's i'm just really proud of that that's that's amazing jesus is saying these things about you and it it blows our minds because it's easy for us to realize that we sure don't feel like all that we don't feel like royalty we don't feel uh, justified and like a, a special you know crown jeweled craftsman of god we feel you know kind of gross sometimes but this is what he says and how should we respond? Verses 52, 53 says this. And the only thing that makes sense, and they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they were continually in the temple blessing God. When God speaks such good things about us, how can we help but just to speak good things about him, to worship him, to go out with joy, to talk about him, to, to bless him right back? It's just incredible. I was thinking of this scenario because, you know, sometimes I just like to imagine things that are kind of strange. And I thought, 
Okay, playground uh, basketball. Uh, this little kid is playing basketball, and this happens all over our country. And uh, just imagine if some uh, you know, NBA star shows up on that court and just starts gushing over that little guy. Man, that just perfect form there. That was so great. Oh, wow, the way you dribbled, that was amazing. Oh, that shot you took, that was... And just talking all these, all these good things about that little kid. That, that's kind of how it is with God talking about us. You know, we're just stumbling around, and he's saying, man, you, you're amazing. You're a child of the king. You, uh, all these things, you are, you are perfect. You're a saint. You're holy. And, uh, and what do we do about that? But say, no, 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 but really you, you're the great one. We worship you. you. You're the one who did all this, and we just deflect it back to Christ who's done it all for us. He is our, our Savior who just rescued us and uh, he rose from the dead, but he, that's not just a historical thing. It is a historical thing, but it's not just a historical thing. He is now and always alive and with us and walking with us day by day. And so when he initiates, we respond. He daily interacts with us. He shows up. He reveals himself. He gives us the precious gift of scriptures. He opens our minds to understand He sends us out with the power of his spirit, and then he just speaks all these blessings over us. So what do we do? do? We engage with him. We acknowledge, oh, yeah, he's really right here with us. We seek him out. We get to know him in his word. We ask his help to understand, and we certainly go out in his power and talk about him, and we just worship him. That's what we've done this morning. We exalt him. We say, God, you are all this. We're down here, you're way up there, and you are mighty and magnificent, and we just, we just worship you. And our challenge is just, in all these things Christ has done for us, we just respond daily to his invitation for relationship. We, we live with the awareness that he's really alive and right with us, and he's inviting us into relationship. He's not inviting us into a club to follow or or a school to be part of, or, or something. He's inviting us to, to know him and be with him and love him because he is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And for that, I am super, super thankful. So riding the wave of Easter is so great. We, you know, we put on our best hat or whatever and come in, and then we go back to regular life. No, he's still alive. He's still with us. And every Sunday is a resurrection day, and every Monday is too. And we just, we just worship a risen Savior. So let, let's just pray and give thanks uh, today.